Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Managing Editor of Sports Travel, and our guests today are Nick Sellers and David Galbaugh from the World Games 2022 in Birmingham, Alabama. But before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 22 will be held in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma from October 24th through the 27th, 2022. This year's conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Sports Link Program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. The World Games is an international multi-sport event that gets underway on July 7th with the opening ceremony at Protective Stadium in Birmingham, Alabama. The event will culminate a seven-year planning process after the destination was first awarded host duties and will feature 30 official sports in 54 disciplines contested at 30 venues across the Birmingham area. We talk with World Games CEO Nick Sellers and David Gelbaugh, Vice President of Sports Sales and Marketing for the Greater Birmingham CVB, about how the World Games first appeared on Birmingham's radar, the destination's international event hosting background, how the years of planning was disrupted by COVID, and what benefits may have actually come from the pandemic in terms of new venues, the upcoming visit by IOC President Thomas Bach, dealing recently with world events in the Ukraine, and as always, when it comes to an international sports competition, we talk about the mascots. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Nick Sellers and David Galboff, thank you for joining us today on the Sports Travel Podcast. Of course, happy to be here. Great to be with you, Matt. Birmingham was awarded the World Games in January of 2015. How was this event on the radar and what made the city go after this event to begin with? David, you were, you've been involved since day one. You're probably best to kind of uh, talk through how we, how we got it, which was a big deal. Yeah, it was a huge deal for us. So we had a couple of gentlemen, uh, two or three people here in the community that actually were, uh, they were for the opportunity to go to Cali, Columbia and kind of just check out the games. And when they got there, what they realized was that, you know, Cali, Columbia is great, but Birmingham has actually got all the facilities that we would need to host this. And so they kind of got to be in their bonnet. And then with uh, Ron Froelich, who has uh, been with IWGA forever, he is actually in our community. He's uh, part of the reason the guys went down to uh, Cali to begin with. And so when they came back, there was a lot of excitement and enthusiasm about bidding on these games. Well, it is the biggest. It's not the first international event that you guys have hosted by any stretch. Could the World Games be a bigger play for the city to get more international events in the future off its potential success? I mean, I'll jump in first and then Nick, feel free to, to augment anything I said. But yeah, um, when you have an event of this scale and magnitude and you can First of all, you can you win the bid to host it, right? That's huge. And then I know what we're going to do is we're going to knock this. This event's going to be special for Birmingham. I think it's going to be special for the IWGA and what they're trying to accomplish. So when you when you put those two together, I mean, of course, it's gonna it's gonna lend itself to other opportunities down the road. Or if it doesn't, then we're certainly not doing a good job. Yeah, you know, Matt, '96 was Olympic soccer year. I think you're referring to that, and that was a big international moment for Birmingham. I think we proved not only to the rest of the world, but to ourselves in this community that we can do big things. We can put on big events. But then Birmingham kind of struggled for a while to find our identity. And we looked to build a dome stadium at one point. We, you know, we, we kind of struggled with because we're a bit balkanized uh, in terms of our different municipalities and, and 
coalescing under a vision. And really about a decade ago, things started to change for us. They started to agree on a right-sized stadium, a 45,000-seat open-air stadium that is now known as Protective Stadium. Beautiful new place. We just sold it out. And then some for Garth Brooks had a mega concert. And in fact, Garth talked about how he couldn't wait to get back to Birmingham. Um, it was such a, a big deal for him. But the political leadership got together. We've got a new mayor, a guy named Randall Woodfin, who's really uh, got a lot of charisma, has reached out to other local political leaders and business leaders. And I think we've coalesced around a vision of what Birmingham can be. We're not trying to be Atlanta or Nashville or Charlotte or Jacksonville or New Orleans. I think Birmingham is really well positioned now, though, to be larger than a traditional tertiary market of conventions and trade shows and entertainment. And these world games are going to position us, to David's point, to do even bigger things in the future. This is the largest international multi-sport event in the history of our state, and it's the largest in the Southeast U.S. since the 96 Olympics. You mentioned the Olympics. There was a, a time long ago where the Birmingham, some officials in the city were saying we would like to host, put together a bid to host the summer games. Do you think the world games is about the top that you can go or are you guys dreaming even bigger down the road? Candidly, I mean, you know, if you if you look at an assessment of the billions of dollars of an investment it would take in facilities to put on a summer Olympic Games, I, I don't see that in Birmingham's near future. But it's certainly executing on these games, as David laid out, and we believe that we've got a plan that will really make these World Games. They're part of the Olympic movement. The president of the IOC, Thomas Bach, will be here. We've done some very interesting things around marketing. We've partnered with the NFL around flag football. They want it to be a summer Olympic sport by the next time the Olympics are back in the U.S. in 2028. We partnered with the Premier Lacrosse League to be the presenting sponsor of lacrosse, another fast-growing sport. These World Games sports are the fastest-growing sports in the international sports community. Does it position us to do other big things? Absolutely. Uh, David can attest he's leading the, the process for the city around bidding for um, the World Rugby you know, uh, Championships and other big events. And we think that this will be a great introduction for the rest of the international sports world to see Birmingham as a place to put on big events. And I, I think with that comment, referring back to the Olympics, though, I think the mayor is, you know, as outlandish as it sounded, I think what he really wanted to do was just tell uh, our citizens to just dream big because we can't accomplish a lot. So, I mean, again, it did seem like hyperbole, but I think there, there was a, a mission behind that statement. You mentioned that the IOC president, Thomas Bach, will be on hand, to, at least for the opening ceremony in a couple of days after. What else do you plan to take him around to see and showcase uh, your city with? Yeah, we'll host um, a dinner for President Bach with local leaders in our community, the IWGA leadership and the IOC leadership. And we think that's going to be a real opportunity to build some personal friendships and relationships with the leadership of the International Olympic Committee um, obviously, the president has, has sports that uh, President Bach has sports he wants to see. We believe that lacrosse and flag football will be two of those sports that he'll want to see up close and personal as he gives an assessment to those sports and their futures inside the Olympic movement. Um, and he's going to see a heck of a show with both of those, obviously, with the Iroquois Nation, the founders of the game of lacrosse or other, otherwise known as the Haudenosaunee Nation. They're, gonna, they're a Cinderella story for these games. Can they win gold in a sport? that they founded in a country, candidly, that they founded first. Um, it'll be very interesting. Team USA softball, can they avenge a gold medal loss that, um, in the final inning against Japan from Tokyo Olympics here in the U.S.? That'll be a big storyline. We hope that President Bach will have an opportunity to see some of that. 
And then flag football um, presented by the NFL. The NFL is about to announce some exciting things in the future as it relates to American football and advancing the cause in countries around the world and flag football for men and women. So I think that President Bach will, at the very least, have an opportunity to, to see those three sports. For all the logistical and organizational issues that go into putting on an event of this size, you also had the World Games delayed from 2021 to 2022. Give us a measure on how much the pandemic and having to hold this event a year later than planned changed how it has been organized from both. I mean, you've got the whole city has been planning for years to host these games in 21, and now they're in 22. I'm sure there's so many things, almost pretty much every page of your organizational playbook had to be disrupted in some way. Dave, why don't you take it first? I'll, I'll follow you, Boots. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to just speak to the really positive things that happened because of that. Number one, we had uh, two great facilities that we weren't going to have on the table, you know, for 21 and Protective Stadium and then Lexi Arena. So, and then, you know, uh, additionally with CityWalk, which is going to be where we're hosting the World Games Plaza. I mean, you had three huge venues and three huge features to uh, the games that just weren't going to be here in 21. So to me, you couldn't ask for anything more. I mean, I hate the delay and certainly a global pandemic is, it was awful. And, you know, we're kind of getting through that now, but I mean, in terms of what that meant for the world games, those three facilities are going to be huge. And I think it's going to be exciting for the visitors that don't know Birmingham to come in and see these venues. So without those, we would have been uh, just lacking a bit. No, that's it. I, that's definitely what this was the silver lining was the ability to showcase new venues first and foremost. In addition, the World Games brand is not a well-known brand in the United States. It hasn't been in the U.S. since its inception in 1981. To the extent people have heard about it, I don't think they really appreciated the connectivity to the Olympic movement and that some of these sports actually are the same athletes are competing both in the Summer Olympics and in these World Games. So it gave us an opportunity to market the games more, to, to frankly build more sponsorships and sell more sponsorships. This is a Unlike what you would see in other parts of the world where the governments foot the entire tab, here in the U.S., it's not that way. And this is a set, roughly 70-30 partnership, 70% private dollars, 30% public dollars to put on these games. We have been fortunate to partner up with now over 140 businesses, $27.5 million of investment. All to, um, told, it will be a significant more with ticket sales and sponsorship and, uh, and merchandise toward a roughly $60 million endeavor all in. And, and 70% of that will be with private funds. You mentioned, so, you know, just detailing a lot of things that were positives over being able to have the event de- delayed a year. What, is there one thing that was the biggest thing you mentioned? Was it the venues or was it the financial side of things that you, you know, after you get over the original disappointment of having to delay the event a year, think to you, you think to yourself, okay, this is the best case scenario in what is, you know, obviously been the worst case for all of us in this pandemic. And definitely David's point, the venues, not not being able to showcase protective stadium, it would have still been under construction. The city walk, which is now the heartbeat of these world games. It's where the region's world games plaza will be. We've got entertainment every night there from Lupe Fiasco and, and Big Boy and Outcast to uh, Big Head Todd and country music acts. And it's all going to be free to the public. It's going to be really kind of a fun gathering place with a lot of promotions and activations every night. And that wouldn't have happened um, before before the pandemic. The World Games showcases more than 25 sports. Some are part of the Olympic program, but you also have things like squash. You have you mentioned lacrosse and flag football. You have sumo. 
You have tug of war. You know, what went into the process of securing venues and then volunteers for each of those venues, given the wide scope that this event is? One of the benefits of of securing the World Games, landing them uh, as a host city, is that there's no requirement for investing in new infrastructure or venues. Birmingham really, to our benefit, has a wide range and wide size of venues, all within generally a 20, 25 minute radius driving time. When we came on board in 2019, there had been a lot of discussions with the organizing committee to date, but we had to get all those venues under contract and and we added venues. Uh, So we go as far south as Oak Mountain State Park for water ski jumping and wakeboarding. Those were the big events there. And the Hoover Met, which is a beautiful, the SEC baseball championships are there every year, beautiful baseball stadium. It used to be home to the Birmingham Barons. It will host the women's softball championships. The Barber International Motor uh, Track, it's, it is a world-class Grand Prix road track. The Honda Indy Grand Prix is, is there every year, and it will be home to canopy piloting, this extreme sport where athletes are jumping out of helicopters and they have to drag a foot across a one, rod or runway and land at a precision point. But generally, most of the other venues are in and around the downtown area. Boutwell Auditorium for martial arts. Um, the BJCC has got a wide variety of, and we'll be utilizing all of it. We're building an eight-lane bowling alley inside the Birmingham Jefferson Convention Complex for the bowling championships. Billiards, dance sport, which includes rock and roll, Latin, salsa. Um, all of those will be there and gymnastics. But then we're taking some old facilities, old venues, um, and bringing new life to them. One is Sloss Furnaces. It was an old area that is uh, kind of being reclaimed. We'll build a beach competition court for beach handball. We'll build a sport climbing wall for sport climbing. Uh, this, this wall was where the world record was set in Salt Lake City. We expect another world record to be set here from a Ukrainian, the, the fastest in the world. And then parkour, this, you know, this incredible acrobatic competition of the athletes. The competition will be out there. Powell Avenue Steam Plant in the heart of downtown Birmingham is being totally revitalized. It's an it's a, a, a old coal-fired power plant owned by Alabama Power Company. And it will play host to um, inline roller speed track. We're building, paving a new speed track there. It's going to be a really beautiful venue to host in the heart of downtown by our railroad park. But a lot of thought went into it and, and a lot of great partnerships with our city, our local community, UAB, which is, gosh, it's hosting our most of our athletes' village. Um, and, and several of the sports will be, uh, be competing at UAB as well. We're in 14 different venue clusters, over 20-plus venues in total. David, you want to talk about maybe volunteers and all that went into the Well, one thing I was going to add before we get into that, one thing I was going to add, and I think you brought up a vital point, though, is, um, well, first of all, this business is facility-driven, first and foremost. And so we are blessed with the great facilities, and it's kind of carved out this multi-sport niche for us. So we're uh, we're continuing to grow with that. But, I, you know, I think the fact that you can host a World Games, I think, speaks to our great venues. And, and one thing that Nick alluded to as well when they came in for the site visit, when the IWGA came in for the site visit back in October of, I guess that was 2014, the first thing they said was, hey, you've got all the facilities right now to host the games. And so that told us that we were doing really good things in terms of our facilities. And so we, you know, we are blessed and that's that's really a driver for us. So I, d- I just wanted to uh, underscore that. You mentioned all the facilities and all the venues, and you mentioned Barber Motorsports Park. You have IndyCar coming to town every year. You have all of these events. How much did the World Games, I know you obviously also this summer have been getting 
untold amounts of attention by being the host for the USFL's relaunch season. How much does do some of those events really kind of build off what you've been able to do over the last couple of years in preparing for the World Games, having new venues come online, because it attracts those, those ancillary and additional businesses that maybe before maybe would not have thought of Birmingham as a potential destination to hold their events? Yeah, I think, you're, you know, we're, we're building this sort of this critical mass and this momentum. So every, you know, new positive, every, you know, a new bid that you win, I mean, it kind of just adds fuel to the fire. And that's what you've been seeing. And Nick talked about this 10 years ago, I'd say maybe even further back that we're starting to kind of build this juggernaut that is is Birmingham as a sports destination. So um, it continues to grow. But, you know, we can't we can't do that without great sports like the World Games or the USFL or the IndyCar, STC Baseball, Regis Tradition, all the things that we we just talked about a little bit earlier. So we continue to build the product. For a limited time at the World Games, you're going to be allowing day pass. You're going to be offering day passes that will allow fans to attend multiple competitions held during a single day for $35. What are you projecting for attendance and what do you think that offer will be able to do in terms of advanced ticket sales? You know, Matt, before the uh, pandemic and, and after the pandemic, we were looking objectively at what we thought we could do. Uh, it has impinged on our international ticket sales. There's no doubt about it. There's still some challenges with visas, with, uh, with our embassies and opening up in certain countries. And it's, it's put a bit of a damper on international ticket sales. We still believe that we'll have 25 plus thousand to, uh, of international guests that will be coming in over a 10-day period, the majority of our tickets will be sold in a three to five-hour drive time. To date, including our ticket packages and sponsors and retail ticket sales, we're in at 340,000 plus tickets sold and committed in the marketplace. <clears throat> we were expecting a half a million tickets to be sold um, in all 10 days, including opening and closing ceremony. Our opening and closing ceremonies are going to be epic. We've got Nelly and Alabama and Sarah Evans, Yolanda Adams, and other major artists that'll be performing this incredible performance with the uh, master of funk, Bootsy Collins, from the Parliament Funk, uh, George Clinton uh, days, who was the master of opening ceremonies. It'll be a lot of pomp and circumstance. 300 drones will do a drone show during the ceremony. It'll be broadcast globally on the Olympic Channel. And in closing ceremony, we're having many of those same artists, including Jamie Johnson, country music star, and the iconic Lionel Richie is coming home for the first time in over two decades to close it out. It'll be kind of a, a serenade to all of these athletes and the World Games as they head to Chengdu, China next um, in 2023. But we think, and there's still some tickets available there for as little as $40. You can, you can buy a ticket to the ceremonies. The day passes have certainly helped because... Some people know about these sports, others don't. And to the extent they may know about it, they don't know if they can get off work at 4 p.m. for a karate session. Um, they know they want to come. They just aren't sure what time they can get off work. And so selling the day passes has really opened up ticket sales. We've doubled our ticket sales every day since we started a week ago. Every day has been a, um, a day that we've done a little bit better. So we feel really good about that. And those tickets will continue to be on sale until June 30th. One thing I will add, certainly it's important for us to drive uh, tourism into our market, but our community really does come out to support events. So I have no doubt, you know, that we're going to have a lot of people over the span of those 11 days that are going to come out and kind of last minute, they're going to buy some tickets. I really do believe that because we've proven in the past that we are sort of a big walk-up market like a lot of destinations. So I, I do see that number growing for sure. 
The U.S. government recently waived the COVID testing requirement for visitors to enter the U.S. You mentioned the international market that you guys will are hoping to have and planning to have. How much materially does that decision change any of the logistics that you have ahead of the World Games? Some of these countries still have their the mandates in place for return. And in those countries and the athletes and officials that are coming from those countries will have the rapid tests that they need to take to, to lead. But it, it does start to create this notion that we're going from a pandemic to endemic, meaning we're just living with this thing and, and uh, people are getting used to living with it. And so the, the change, the loosening of that requirement by the U.S. government, we think, obviously can only help um, increase attendance and ticket sales and those who are willing to travel to the U.S. And so we see it on balance as a real positive. Part of the ticket revenue from this event will be donated to the Ukraine for rebuilding sports venues damaged because of the Russian invasion and athletes from both Russia and Belarus will be barred from competing. You've had to delay the World Games for a year because of a pandemic. You have COVID protocols that I'm sure change on a regular basis over the past couple of years of planning. Then you add in the world political situation as it's been going on. In some ways, there are there protocols where you have to start from scratch almost on a near daily basis because of just how fast the world is changing? Well, it has clearly been um, a series of unexpected events, you know, and, and w- really when we got through the pandemic, we thought there's really nothing else that can rock us like that. We can get through this and, and persevere and, and, and have these games. We're good to go. And then obviously inflation and um, the, the, the lingering after effects, and the hangover of the pandemic. All these things are real and it, there's no playbook, Matt, you know, for anything. I don't think we, we're all trying to learn from each other from uh, World Track and Field Championships in Eugene. There's a lot of connectivity and discussion. The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee have been tremendous in supporting us, not only with things like uniforms for Team USA for opening ceremony, uh, but also just relationships and support in Washington, D.C. as we try to help athletes and teams from other countries um, get their credentials to get into the U.S. Um, and so we're all kind of learning from each other, but it has been one challenge after another. Uh, and I think that at this point, we're at a place where we've got a good plan. We're working our plan. Um, we're confident where we are with 23 days to go, that we're going to deliver something that's going to be world-class for the city. And we think it'll ultimately be the, the best world games that the IWGA has ever seen and help them reintroduce their brand in America in a very special way. But yeah, to, to, it's suffice to say, it's these are things that nobody has ever done before. And, and so we've all had to kind of figure our, our way through this together in the international sports community. And with all that, Nick's aged really well, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know about that, but there is, uh, whatever hair is left has certainly turned a lighter color over the last uh, year and a half. <laughs> you mentioned, I mean, there's just been almost a something different every day. Once competition begins... Will you guys be able to sit back and enjoy the event or will the enjoyment come once it's over and you feel that you've been able to organize this successful event? Yeah, David will clearly have a perspective. He's been through a lot of these different things uh, as kind of a key leader in recruiting all of these sports and then and then being a part of it. And he and the team at the Convention and Visitors Bureau have certainly been central to, to our execution of these games to date and will be going forward. Matt, it's my sense um, that once we get through opening ceremony, um, God willing, it's a great success and everyone's excited from there. You kind of like, it's like you're up to speed and then it's just, you got a little bit of a, the wind at your back, so to speak. And, and I believe that that'll be the case. Once we get through the ceremonies 
and we're in the first day of sport competitions, we'll just be, we'll be rolling. I've got a set schedule of where I intend to be every day. And, and obviously that's, it starts out at 7am with a briefing with our um, emergency teams, our security teams, transportation, and the IWGA leadership. Um, and then moving around to all the various events. I, it's my goal to attend at least uh, every sport competition, at least once, whether it's a prelim or a gold medal or a medal round um, between, between now and the end. And to just frankly, try to thank all the staff and volunteers. They're going to be putting in long hours over 11 days in a lot of great Southern July humidity and heat. And, and it's our goal to just try to make it a special experience for them because this, we say it and it, it's not hyperbole that this is a once in a lifetime experience for Birmingham and we want people to have a great time. So I'm going to do my best to try to enjoy it. At some point you put a really good plan in place. You've got a great team that's worked very hard on it. And then it's kind of like, I tell them it's like P90X with old Tony, whatever his name was, do your best and forget the rest, you know? David, how many events are you going to try? Are you going to try and match Nick and hit uh, hit every single event? Well, it's always tough to try to match Nick, but yeah, I really, um, I mean, if we, you know, worked on it since, you know, 2014. So to me, uh, without seeing every venue or every um, sport, I kind of go away a little deficient. So yeah, I certainly want to see like, like Nick, uh, at least uh, some part of every event. I really do because that's, um, you know, these are the world games and these sports. I mean, some of them are, I mean, even if you don't know the sport, they're fantastic. So I would highly recommend, you know, people to come in our town and just see these sports that you're not going to see really anywhere else, you know, and particularly in the domestic and the U S domestic market. One more question for you guys at a lot of these worldwide events and especially Olympic games, something that may sound small, but becomes a big attention getter is the mascots. You guys have Vulcan and Vesta last summer were announced as the official mascots for the world games over the past year. How do you feel the public reaction and adoption of them of mascots have been? There was a lot of gnashing of teeth early on because we had Vulcan and uh, I had no idea that the mascots were such a big deal to the international governing bodies, but they are. So they were like, you know, in their, in, in their German accent, Akim Gassau, who's the CEO says, you have this Vulcan, this man, where is the woman? And we were like, well, but there is no, it's Vulcan. Like Vulcan is sitting atop our red mountain here. It's, it's, it, he's been here for, for a long, long time. Uh, so then we, we said, well, we need to find a, a, a companion for Vulcan. And, and Vesta uh, is actually the Roman goddess of like hearth and home. And it's Vestavia, which is a city, a bedroom community just over the mountain here in Birmingham was named uh, for Vesta in part. And they've had a great relationship um, they've been all over town. I think the community is getting excited about them. They've been at just about every event you can imagine over the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, and I think people are excited about it. We've, uh, we, for the mascots, we had to give them a little bit of Botox and make Vulcan look a little happier. And, uh, you know, <laughs> for this old gray guy that's on top of the mountain, but I think people have been happy. David, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Vulcan really has been a symbol for our city for a long time, you know, with our, our steel heritage and, uh, you know, the way we've, uh, kind of been in that industry since our inception, but, um, you know, I think our community is, uh, they've always embraced Vulcan and I, I know now they're in this, or, you know, they're certainly, uh, in love with Vesta as well. And, uh, this is no slight against Hansel and Gretel, but I mean, I think, I think they've got some real moxie and I think, <laughs> you know, just knock them out of the park. So yeah, I, I think it's, they're two great mascots for sure. Well, from mascots to all the things that you guys have planned, best of luck in Birmingham later this summer at the World Games. And Nick and David, thank you for joining us on the Sports Travel Podcast today. 
Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us, man. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Trout for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.